Today on The Art Dealer Show, you will hear art broker Dewey Graff say... And then once I had them, I, I would basically demand that, you know, I was the only person that they would ever have any contact with. And I would actually let them know that, you know, I demand complete loyalty. Welcome to The Art Dealer Show, a podcast for and about the people who sell art. My name is Danny Stern, and today on the show we have art broker Dewey Graff. Now, Dewey, I think he's the first straight-up art broker that we've ever had on the show. And why am I excited about that? Well, frankly, I've wanted to hit that as a subject for a long time, as long as I've been doing this podcast for as long as that's been. And uh, what better way is there to take on the topic of art brokers as being part of our art dealing landscape than having one of them on? And I can't think of a better one. Dewey's unique. Dewey is one of those people you'll meet in our business who established a couple square feet on the map that they can declare as their own. And when they're gone, when Dewey eventually decides he doesn't want to do this anymore, no one else is in exactly possess it ever again. There's going to be nothing but a Dewey-sized footprint right there. Now, art broker. There are some deep feelings about brokers being a part of our industry. And we'll get into that. We'll take that on as a topic when Dewey and I, a little bit later on, go on to our conversation. We'll hit a few more, too, uh, that are unique to the understanding that art brokers have about our business, one of which is uh, the subject of developing very deep and meaningful relationships with collectors who you probably will never meet. We'll also talk about what goes hand in hand with that, how to sell art without an actual brick and mortar presence. And then, of course, the unavoidable topic that happens over and over again on our show. We'll talk about what's coming next, what we see on the horizon, and if we see ourselves in that picture. But in the meantime, I want to bend your ear a little bit about something that happened this week. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to buy you a drink over at the old art dealer bar so I can share this with you. Okay, do we have something good from the bar? Are we all settled in and comfortable? Excellent. Because I have a good story for you this week. It comes from a phone call, phone call I got just a few days ago, that reminded me about one of the earliest lessons that I learned in this business. One of the biggest lessons I learned in the business. One of the ones that has made the difference between some of my biggest successes and some of my greatest failures. This phone call was with a friend. She owns an art gallery, she's an art dealer, and she sells in her gallery an artist who I represent. And during the phone conversation, I had asked her about a collector of hers. And let's, let's just say, let's call her Barbara. And, and Barbara, Barbara is a, a big deal. She is the kind of collector who I know you are dreaming of. She is the kind of collector that makes the difference between a good year in your gallery and the year that you wind up buying a big vacation house that you've always been dreaming of kind of year. She buys paintings that are followed by a lot of zeros. Well, anyway, I had noticed, as everybody had, that Barbara had slowed down a lot. That we hadn't seen any sales from her in quite some time. And uh, I asked, I said, well, what's going on? Are we okay? And she said, well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been talking to Barbara. She has told me that she is running out of wall space. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, she only has a couple spaces left in her wall. And when she's filled them, um, she'll probably be over, you know, because she's done. And I said, I said, well, there's your problem. And she goes, what do you mean there's my problem? And I said, well, your problem is... Barbara doesn't know who she is. And quite honestly, if I was a little bit more Bosley, I would also say, and uh, you don't know who you are either. And I would have said that with a lot of love to my friend. And she said, well, what do you mean she doesn't know who she is? And I said, well, she described who she thinks she is in that point. She is a person who owns a house. She's got some walls. She wants to fill it. She has some disposable income. And there's an artist that she likes who she's going to fill it up with. That's who she is. That's who Barbara is. That is her role in this conversation. And it is limiting and it is a sad, sad travesty. 
She goes, what do you mean it's a sad travesty? I said, well, the travesty is who she is. She's a collector. And I mean that in big lights, underscore, bold lettering, all caps, collector. Not, not just collector in the way that we throw that word around as a much more sophisticated and elegant way of describing someone who would otherwise be described as a client or a customer or just some guy who came in and bought a painting. No, I mean someone who has a real role, a real part of the history of the artist. They are significant. They are incorporated in the bigger picture of what this artist is doing. That kind of collector. Her in particular, buying pieces at that level, I mean, she owns the pieces that if a museum was ever going to do a retrospective on our artist, they would be calling her up. And she doesn't know that. She doesn't understand that. And I know she doesn't. Because if she did, she would not be explaining that she is stopping because she is at a wall space. Because that's decorating. Decorating is not collecting. Collecting, collecting is, a, is a, a place of authority. It's a title. It's a title like doctor. All right, not quite like doctor, but you get where I'm going with this. It has value. And the nice thing about that is, with that value comes a level of pleasure for what you are doing as a collector that you don't get when you're just filling up wall spaces with something pretty. There's a pride that people who don't know that they are collectors, that they're robbed of. And there's also a misunderstanding and an inability to understand their relationship with you. If they don't know they're collectors, they really don't know you're an art dealer. In the same way that if you don't know you're a patient, you don't understand your doctor is your doctor. If you, are, if you don't know you're a student, you can't understand that a teacher is your teacher. Those roles, well, they come with, as I said, expectations. If you don't know your teacher is your teacher, then you don't know when the teaching is good. You can't identify it because there's no context to it. And the great thing we get out of understanding that we are the art dealer and they are the collector is that it is the context. It is the evaluation that comes from that context. And let me explain what I mean before I go rambling on even more with a bunch of words here. As a matter of fact, let me get back to where I first learned this lesson. I learned it very early, as I said, as an art dealer. And I learned it because I was going through the stumbles and falls that all of us go through when we first start selling art. And one of the biggest stumbles, one of the biggest roadblocks you face when you're an art dealer just learning this trade is that after you had this great encounter with somebody in your gallery and you showed them some wonderful pieces and you follow up and you call them up, you wind up getting a person who does not expect your phone call, does not want it, puts you off, acts like perhaps you're an imposter. You're someone who was just a clerk in some store of many that they entered into while they were on their vacation and thank you, but no thank you. And the reason for that I would figure out in time is this can't work if my role isn't established. I need a place in their life. They need to have a contextual understanding of who I am. Because when I eventually call, they need to connect with the fact that I have a place. They love some paintings that were in my gallery, and I am the person who is going to help facilitate that with all the authority that comes with my position. And that's kind of exciting. They're not just a person who got called by a salesperson from some store. They're a collector, or a prospective collector, who is being called by their art dealer. And that, that's cool. That comes with something. That has cachet. It also, when done right, and when all the stars align perfectly, sets up a foundation for a relationship that could have a great future to it. Over time, if they collect, well, now they're the person who, when I call them about an art opening, I am their art dealer informing them about something wonderful happening in a gallery that they collect in. When I call to them about a new release or a new painting that was just created by the artist that they loved, well, I'm doing my duty. I'm not just selling them something. I'm living up to a promise. A promise that as their art dealer, 
in our relationship of collector and art dealer that I am going to inform them when important things happen with an artist who they've invested themselves into. Understanding who you are, understanding who they are, understanding the nature of the relationship, it makes all the difference in the world. I carry this to this day. I'm clear on my role as the agent to the artist and whom I represent. They are clear as who they are in our relationship as artists who produce artwork. I know it sounds rudimentary and it might sound simple, but with it has come a great deal of pleasure. In the same way that I know I am a person who is enjoying the hell out of this Kentucky mule that Hector has just mixed for me. You know what the worst feeling is that you can have in this business? After you had a big art show, after you put out a new print release, after you signed on a new artist or brought a new artist into your gallery and wanted to make an announcement, whatever it is that you needed to announce to the world or do that was going to be big and important, the worst feeling is that you could have done a hell of a lot more. You could have put the word in. You could have hired a great publicist, not just the publicist that your podiatrist recommended because his sister-in-law knows somebody, but I mean somebody who really knows our business, knows how to get the word out about the kind of things that we do. Yeah, you guessed it. I'm talking about Allison Zucker Perlman and her team of publicists who specialize specifically in the art business over at Relevant Communications. You can check out what they do at relevantcommunications.net. Okay, here's a weird one, but I think it's one you can relate to. Have you ever lied for absolutely no reason at all, other than the fact that you just didn't want to admit that you didn't know something? Yes, yes, nod, nod, no, yes, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here's an example. Let's say somebody, somebody in the art business comes up to me and says, hey, I was just at this opening for Contessa Gallery in Palm Beach. You know Contessa Gallery, right? Out there in Palm Beach. And you nod and say yes, but you don't. No, you don't. You've heard of Contessa Gallery. Quite frankly, you thought they were the gallery in Cleveland, not Palm Beach. And it's a little bit confusing, but you didn't want to sound like you're not in the groove of knowing what's going on. The fact is, you would have known. You would have known if you read Art World News. A couple issues back, they announced that Contessa Gallery has a seasonal gallery that's opening up in Palm Beach. And you would have been right up there with the knowledge of everybody else in the business. Maybe it's not the most important thing to know, but it shows you not reading the magazine and you don't know what other art dealers know. This is why you need to read Art World News, so you don't have to lie anymore. So the other night, I'm watching that show, Deadliest Catch, and a thought occurs to me. Now, it's a stupid thought, but it happens, and I'm thinking, the ocean, it's its huge. Why would they go to the choppiest, most dangerous place to go get their fish? And hell, why are they all on top of each other? I mean, every fishing boat in the entire business of catching these, whatever the hell it is they catch, they're all literally sitting on each other, and the, eventually it hits me. It says, hey, dummy, I mean me, not you. It's because that's where the fish are. It happens to be in a horrible place where you have to risk your life. And then I thought to myself, man, how lucky are we that where our business is, where our fish is, excuse me, collectors, the people who love art, the people who buy art, the people who trade art, they're found in the fair. Man, that's a lovely sounding word when you start thinking about it in contrast to going out to the deep seas where some boom might knock you back upside your head. If you're going to the art fairs like the ones that are put on by our partner sponsor, Redwood Media Group, which you can find at redwoodmg.com, well, they're put on in some of the most fantastic places you'd ever want to go. San Diego, as an example, is coming up later in the year. And right now, just next month, well, hell, that's going to be Santa Fe. Does that sound great? Going to Santa Fe, hell of a lot better than smelling like a bunch of fish and uh, risking your life. And later on in the year, well, next year, they're going to be in Las Vegas. That's a new one that they're returning to. If you want to find out more, like I said, go over to Redwood Media Group's website at redwoodmg.com.
I don't like discounting and I prefer not to discount in, in, in ice. So, you know, there's a little bit of a misconception out there and, and, you know, it's, it's like, why would I sell something for less when the art's good enough that I don't have to? So that's another reason I've always stressed service. You know, my, my thing was fine art at the best possible price, but if the best possible price is retail, then that's what it is. That person you just heard is art broker Dewey Graff. He's also my friend of many years and even many more crazy stories. And what Dewey was talking about, well, he was taking on the stigma of being an art broker, the frustration that comes with that stigma. He was addressing the belief that what art brokers do is they compete with legitimate brick and mortar galleries by offering them a better price. But that's just part of our conversation. Around in 2002, before I ever met Dewey, we were launching a brand new artist. This is my partner and I. And at some point, my partner said to me, you know, Danny, I'll know we did something. I'll know we really have arrived. Not only when the brokers have taken hold of this artist, but when we get a phone call from Dewey Graff and he tells us that he really wants to have our artist in one of his ads in the Rob Report. The Rob Report has over time become really Dewey's gallery, his little space in the world. And of course, that call came. And what came after that was many very interesting years. Yeah, you know, and actually, and I've actually never worked at a gallery. I mean, I kind of got approached, interestingly enough, by uh, um, Rick Wolfried, you know, who was, who was Phil's partner. And uh, at the time... Oh, Phil at Hamilton Selway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it used to be Wolfried Selway. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, he, he ended up buying, uh, you know, Rick out. But Rick was working uh, for Alan Fingerhut, uh, Fingerhut Group Publishers, and he was the head of wholesale. And uh, I actually had, I just decided I was getting in the art business, and I realized living in Minnesota that I was not going to make a living because I didn't want to sell wildlife art. When you say get into the art business, what did that mean? You just decided one well, morning just, you're going to yeah, be in the art business? I decided there and... was opportunity there. I mean, you know, Andy Warhol had just passed away. I mean, uh, you know. So now you mark in... the years. This is the 87? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's exactly when I started. And, I, you know, I started kind of seeing opportunity out there. I, I was in the barn restaurant business, and that was kind of a burnout just because of the hours and, and stuff. Somebody that asked me for a Jang piece. So I called up, uh, you know, and was put in touch with uh, Rick Wolfried, and we kind of got together. Uh, you know, I, I said, ah, this is interesting art. It seemed very relevant for the time. And, you know, I, I ended up doing my deal. And, and, you know, he was in Minnesota at the time because that's where Fingerhut was. And if a Jang used to come in and sign all the editions and stuff, I used to go in and watch him sign just for I fun. Oh, yeah. Finger had started in Minnesota? Yeah, they, I, mean, I know the family. Yeah, exactly. But I know, I mean, obviously the, the, the mail order business or the catalog business was in Minnesota. Correct. But so they Fingerhead kicked off the gallery Fingerhead out of there, too. The publishers was in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Yeah. So I kind of became friends with Rick and he said, you know, you're a pretty good song and dance, man. He said, you know, you should really think about doing something, you know, in, in this business. But I realized I wasn't going to make a living in Minnesota, like I said. I mean, and, you know, and so I actually, um, uh, I took out an ad in the Rob Report magazine, which had just transitioned from a exotic car magazine to a lifestyle magazine. So you started with them right in the very the beginning. First, I was the first art guy to ever put an ad in the Rob Report magazine. And I started with like a, a sixth of a page, uh, you know, which was very small because it was all I could afford. And it said, uh, best prices possible, which actually says nothing. Best price possible could be full retail. The best price possible could be 10% off right. and stuff. So it really doesn't say anything, but it also puts out a message, you know, that, you know, you have access and, you know, and you can, uh, you know, give deals if it comes down to it. And then I also, uh, you know, on, on top of, you know, Dewey Graph, I put fine homes deserve fine art. Uh-huh. Kind of my kind of my tagline, and so uh, I started off and would get calls from the Rob Report, and I, I you know continued to uh, uh, raise my ad presence. I went to a, a quarter page, a third page, a half page, and then finally up to a full page. You know when I had enough uh, money coming in. 
God, I mean, I actually sold a, uh, a Wilkinson sculpture to uh, Prince Faisal of Saudi Arabia, Jeez. the one that used to come and, and visit Bush. Yeah. And it was, interestingly enough, it was a nude, but it was for his house in McLean, Virginia, not in Saudi Arabia. He studied Prometheans. I remember uh, it well, actually. So, And, and, and I had gotten a, a lot of great clients. It was like the lifestyle magazine, you know, read by anybody and everybody. In fact, you know, that's the reason that you, you guys ended up reapproaching me was because I was told that uh, Ronnie Wood um, saw my ad continually in the Rob Report magazine, and he wanted to know if, if uh, you know, I would run, you know, his artwork in the ad because it was such a branded page. Mm. Well, I think it started becoming a real natural fit, too. We, we saw it ourselves, where we were seeing very lifestyle-type choices, yes. you know, and, and yes. that is lifestyle attraction in the collectors of... Uh, of Ronnie's work. Oh, absolutely. You know, it this, and and uh, it's also a natural audience because it was just a little bit older. Mm -hmm. They were established and it was the music also that they grew up with. I mean, we saw that backstage all the time too. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a lot of who I am and what I do now. And it was sort of a uh, more modern version of, I think, what they put together with uh, Leroy Neiman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, an equivalent of being on the 50-yard line in life. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Neiman was kind of like our generation's Norman Rockwell. Mm -hmm. That's how I looked at him, where he, where he choreographed lifestyle. You know, I mean, it, whether it was sports, whether it was gambling, whether it was eating out at cafes, uh, or whether it was, you know, wildlife. So, uh, yeah, I actually still sell a fair amount of, of Neiman pieces. So For me, that's always... It's just Neiman's maybe one of the more crystallized version of it is the most basic reason why people buy art. Uh, it, it's really about reflecting things about what they feel about themselves or want to feel about themselves or how they want to be seen by others to themselves or to the outer world. And Neiman was such a perfect version of that. Absolutely. But, you know, that's always the kind of artist we focused on, too, which is, you know, whether it's I, I need to describe myself as a rock and roller, I need to describe myself as a real sports fan or, you know, whatever, whatever it is it happens to be. Yes. This is who I am or this is who I strive to. Right. But, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, you know, I, you know, I, my first art expo, I actually worked for Fingerhut Group Publishers. And he actually wanted me to become director of sales after um, Rick Wolfrey left and, and they moved to, to California, uh, he and Phil. But uh, yeah, I, it just didn't, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I play racquetball at five o'clock and he wanted me to, you know, to work rigid hours, and which is another reason I've always worked for myself because, uh, you know, I, I kind of concentrate and work when I want or need to work. And, and I, if I need time off, I'm able to take time off for, you know, especially in, in the digital age we live in, you know, I can work from anywhere I want to work. Presence yeah, but you hour. started this not even before the web. You started this before, you know, email was readily available Absolutely. to people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I actually, people would call me from the ad and I would send out packages. I mm -hmm. mean, I literally, in fact, <clears throat> I mean, I would get, <clears throat> you know, slicks or, or with Wilkinson. Yeah. I did a lot of stuff with, they had a beautiful book. So I used to have to beg Mitch Meisner to send me cases of those books were very expensive. And so that's what I would do. I would literally, you know, you know, every, you know, two or three days, I would get my packages. I would handwrite the letters because I thought that was more effective than typing. And it made it more personal uh -huh. because you want, I, I wanted to identify with the client. It, it had to be a complete personal relationship. So that's, I would handwrite every letter and then I would put together a package kind of, uh, you know, about what they talked about, what, what kind of artists they were interested in. And then, uh, you know, I would give him like a week or so once they got the package. And if they hadn't called me, I would call them. You know, as you were saying that, it reminded me of the thing that I learned really early on too. It was very similar that I, I you know, I started in Union Square and I think was the only art dealer who did this kind of thing, and, and that isn't that I was working with. Right. Know? I yes. didn't, didn't yeah. invent yeah. this. In, 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 but yeah. at, after every day, I took my list of everybody I met, and I always asked everybody what hotel they were staying at. Right. And I wrote a personal little note to them, you know, that I then walked to every single hotel in the area before I got onto the train to go home. Yeah. Yeah. And it was because of the thing that I think I learned in it from a different angle that you know a hundred times better than I do. And that is, it comes down to small numbers 
and it comes down to making very, very personal connections. Absolutely. And, and yeah, making it intimate. Yes. Yeah. You want to separate yourself from everybody else out there. Mm -hmm. And then, and then once I had them, I, I would, I would, you know, basically demand that, uh, you know, I was the only person, you know, that they would ever have any contact with. And I would actually let them know that, you know, I demand complete loyalty. <laughs> I think I used to go as far as call, refer to myself as your art dealer. Yes, oh, exactly. And it was for two reasons. One of them was exactly what you're talking yes. about, yeah. which is kind of the equivalent of like saying, remember who your girlfriend is, yes. you know, exactly. <laughs> remember who you exactly. came to the party with. Exactly. Um, and the other one was that at the time, at least, I don't know if it's still the case anymore, that had status. Oh, it, it, yeah, it, it had a, a status and a lot of relevance. To them and me, yeah. meaning, you know, because I would realize I was dealing with a lot of people who were, they were educated and they were wealthy, but they weren't yet of what they would consider a jet set class. Correct. That, that's something Correct. that hadn't happened in their yes. life. Yes. And they, you know, despite the fact that they were worth, you know, a thousand times more than I would be ever worth you know, right. to get a phone call and have, oh, it's my art dealer. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> they, they were lower upper class. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they were. Right, but, you exactly. know. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's exactly but it right. But it still felt like something to them. Interestingly enough, Danny, uh, I actually, to my good clients these days in email correspondence, I always put your friend and art guy. Uh -huh. So I still actually, you know, I still actually use that because I want them to see that. And, and especially, you know, these days when, when loyalty is, is a fading concept, you know, I want to, them to look at that and reinforce it, you know, in their own mind. So, But I wonder if you almost have to these days work harder for that to be believable because there's so much loss of, of sincerity in our society. You know, there's so much fake you know, intimacy with brand and consumer out there and service. You know, I go and I get a tune-up for my car at the dealership and I got bombarded for the next few days with like so many correspondents. Right. That How'd I do? Did you have a great time? You at the think I went station? to a dinner party at their house. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Exactly. You know, I, I check my email and, and stuff fairly regularly, but I, I check my, my, when I'm traveling, I check my office voicemail, not so regularly. And I checked it yesterday and there was a message from two days ago and I called the person back and they'd already, you know, had the answer to the questions because they send out multiple requests these days. I mean, there is no real loyalty. These days, people are either value shoppers or who can fulfill my, you know, need instantaneously. Right. And that, go that goes for everything. Yes. It drives me crazy. I, yeah. I mean, when you and I started, I mean, I... You know, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I started in the professional world around the same time you were starting in yep. the art business. Yep. And, you know, I often joke that if you got a call back from someone you called in the same day, right. they were on it. Yes. You know, yes. now if you don't pick up the phone in five minutes, yes. they start calling other people you know complaining that you've been ignoring them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's, it used to be service and now it's speed. Wow. Which just seems so antithetical to an art buy. It is. Because what's know, the urgency in an art buy? I mean, we've always joked, you know, joke, we've always talked about in our profession that that's the thing we have to kind of artificially create absolutely. to make the sale happen is because we're in a business where there is no urgency. Yes, yes. You know, we're not selling them a water heater when their water heater broke right. or, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, but there used to be urgency because, you know, there was a lot broader market out there. Uh, you know, there was a limited number of these pieces, which is why they say limited edition to reinforce that, you know, when you first take a look at right. it. See, the only real urgency you have is if you're dealing with originals and then, you know, there's a chance for a hot artist, you know, like Tom Everhart, like we talked yeah. about, you know, where basically you can't get the originals that you want. And if you, you know, have access, you know, you better make up your decision fairly quickly before someone else decides uh, that they want it or a gallery just decides to outright purchase it and put it on their wall so they can have it for clients in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of have to stay on top of your game. You really do. 
it's I mean it's gotten a lot tougher for us as a whole profession, but oh, absolutely. it must have gotten a lot tougher for you specifically. Yeah, it well it has because I I mean I'm you know I, a being in Minneapolis, Minnesota is not like the art capital of the world. I mean there's a there's a few galleries there to begin with. Is uh, I mean it's you know it's not like I'm in Miami, it's not like I'm in New York, it's not like I'm in L.A. or even Chicago where you know you can you know have a street presence and uh, you know you're on the Miracle Mile in Chicago. You know, and you know, you've got thousands of people continually walking by your window looking to see what you have. And if they see something they like, they stop. Right. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're out Which there is also being... credibility. Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. But you know, something I, I, I stopped worrying about credibility is long, long time ago because, you know, people don't know who you are. And they don't know how big you are, and they don't know how many people you have working when you're disassociated with them and they're calling you on the phone. Right. Because I've had, I can't even count the number of times where, where I answer the phone and they, and they say, well, who's this? And I said, well, this is Dewey Graff. And they go, Dewey Graff? And they think it's like I, they have an idea. I have 30 people working for me. And it's like I called oh up Charles God. Schwab and Charles Schwab, yeah, Charles answered, Schwab the answered the phone. <laughs> Schwab answered the phone, exactly. And I was just kind of, you know, just, you know, it, it, so, so there's, there's a certain strength in that, uh, you know, disassociation. Yeah. That, that only happens, you know, obviously on phone calls. Interestingly enough, uh, before we came out to New York, um, my doorbell rings and I look outside and here's two uh, Chinese people, uh, a man and woman, and they want to know, you know, where the gallery is. <laughs> and, and they had, you know, found me, you know, uh, you know, uh, on Google or whatever. And so they had driven to the location. And, and interestingly enough, they were actually... Um, you know, professors that that were at the University of Minnesota. You know, so so th there's not a lot of relevance in my world. You know, not having a personal space. Yeah. If you're not in a destination where it's a high traffic area. I always thought you had a little bit of an advantage, actually, being in you know the smack in the center of the Midwest uh, because there's a, cred there's a credibility that people like the credibility. Yeah. But yes. there's, I think there is a large percentage of, not a large percentage, there's a good amount of people who go to a place like New York, you know, on vacation sure. with the wife and kids or right, whatever, go right. to catch a Broadway show, have a nice meal. And they're the perfect version of that, what they used to call the millionaire next door. Right. You know, the guy that owns 15 gas stations in Des Moines, right. you know, he's worth a lot more than most people yes. you'll ever meet. Yes. But uh, he's not what you think of when you think of, you know, a rich guy. Right. And they see a painting in a gallery down in Soho and they fall in love with it. But they're just not completely on board with getting into bed and buy, making a major purchase with some, you know, snappy dressed, you know, polished New Yorker. And, you know, a guy that's also a little bit more from the heartland seems to make more sense to them. And, you know, something I actually have used that to my advantage and have for many, many years. You know, I've said, you know, hey, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a good Minnesota boy. You know, I'm honest. If I don't know, I'll get back to you. And mm -hmm. uh, um, I stress that I look for relationships. And I also stress the fact that uh, um, I'm not a quote-unquote commission salesperson in a gallery that all of a sudden six months you go back and the person's gone. Right. So you, you have a relationship with me. You know, I'll, I, again, I, I, I stress service, you know, even though it's an outdated concept. There are a, a certain amount of people that actually like and appreciate that. And, and they, do, they do like that Minnesota attitude. I like you kind of flip the whole uh, argument <laughs> against brokers because, you know, the art dealer on the floor of the gallery, when confronted with, you know, this is broker I'm working with, will say, this is just a guy on the phone. You don't know who the hell he is. Right. You know where this gallery is. You got a problem? You can come down here any day of the week. Here right. we are. Right. And you've completely turned it on the ear and said, yeah, the guy that just said that, he's not necessarily there. <laughs> right. Well, let, let's put it this way. I've been around, this is my 28th yeah. year. How many people you know are still in the business after 28 years? I mean, look, look, look at the... Well, it's getting to become one of those industries where there's only two kinds of people in our field. There's right. people in it that have been in it forever. Right. And there's people who 
try it for five days and find out it's not for them. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you look at, you know, I mean, there's no Gallery di Sorrento at the, Caesar, yeah. at the Caesar's Farm Shop. You know, there's no Centaur Gallery in Fashion, you know, Mall in Las Vegas. There's no Whit Krause Gallery in San Diego. So, I mean, you know, a lot of those players, you know, that, that had huge overheads, you know, just couldn't afford to, you know, to keep it going for one reason or another or retired. I want to go back to the very beginning for a second, though. Sure. It was, um, so were you saying you, you ran bars? I actually had uh, a part ownership of a, a, a bar uh, on the edge of the University of Minnesota. Yeah. So, yes, and I did that, you know, for like, I think, six or seven years, something like that. So, I mean, and I was the, I was the partner that would, you know, walk around and make sure everybody was happy, every, yeah. the service was good. I mean, I was the guy that shook the hands. So, and that's always been my strength is, so, is looking people in the eye and, and, you know, and identifying with them. You know, the one thing that's the most distinguishable or, or, or you know, specific quality that, that I know you buy and most people know you buy is you can chat up anybody and win them over as a friend really quickly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, <laughs> and, but, but I like people. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's cynical. Yeah, no, no, it's I not know, a manipulative know, but, thing. But, but I'm just saying but it's like, it, it, there's it, a part it, of me that went, of course you were in the bar business. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, that's that was like your your Bush League version of what would later become a sophisticated version of being an art dealer, by being that guy. God, by training right. God, dealing with the public, basically. Yeah. But, you know, I was that way... Ever since I can remember, I'm, I, 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 even when I was in high school, I really wasn't in a specific group. Yeah. I mean, I, I did some sports, I did wrestling, but but I was also in choir, and I was National Honor Society. So, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, what group do you fit in? So I kind of flitted independently between a lot of different groups because, I, you know, I mean, kind of, I like people for people and who they are. Yeah. And and there's always something that, that they've done that you have not done or maybe never, ever will do. My mother, when I was growing up, told me, make friends with everybody. She said, you know, it's just as important to, you know, to be friends with the waiter as it is to be friends with the, the guy who's going to come around and fill your water when you don't have any. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so I've just been taught to be nice to everybody. And I always, if I see a name tag, I always try to call people by their names. And a lot of times they kind of like, you know, start to smile because mm -hmm. you've already, you've, you've said their name where most people, you know, don't really care. You know, they just, you know, fill my water, take my order. You know, I mean, when Beth and I go out, you know, a lot of places that we go to, we know the life story of the person that's waiting on us because we ask what's going on with them. It's not just about, you know, bring my food. It's about, you know, hey, how are you doing? You know, what's going on with you? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's too bad. So, so if you can relate to people you know, and you, and you look him in the eye, whether it's over the phone, even, yeah. you know, where you're not looking at him in the eye. If, 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 if you can make that magic happen, then you got a lot better chance of, you know, uh, of connecting with them and keeping them, you know, so they want to be connected with you. I mean, I, I have clients that I've sold pieces to that their house is full and mm -hmm. they're just, they're done collecting, but yet, we still stay in contact because, you know, there's that relationship. So, yeah. and, they're, and they're, they're, every once in a while they'll call me and go, oh my God, I'm, this guy's going to call you because, you know, I told him how great you are. And, and so, you know, this, so I'm like, thank you. Right. So they, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They still have, a, and, and, not, and I don't mean it to be so crass, but they still have value to you in exactly. a business aspect yeah, too. They're, now you're I, advertising. Plus I like them, you know, yeah. just, I like them. So, you know, you know, I think it's a, it's a much more beautiful version of something I've been talking about a lot lately with uh, the art dealers I work with. And it's something I took from when I used to be a gallery director. I used to always tell my art dealers, I said, you know, you got to present to everybody constantly and talk to them constantly. And not because of the arguments usually made by your typical, you know, gallery owner, which is, you know, you never know. Sometimes you know, right. you know. Right, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> most of the time you but, know. But who cares? Yeah, exactly. Because I used to, you know, I used to say, it keeps you in constant motion. Yes. So that way, when people come in, you know, you aren't just picking it up from a, a sitting position. You, It's not like you haven't been talking to anybody today. You're already in a flow. Yes. But you've kind of made a version of that 
not so much on just talking, but just an attitude. You know, it's a lot easier to be nice to someone, to be friendly, and to be engaged with them if that's your constant anyway. It's, it is. I, I, I'm very blessed with that. I mean, I kind of have my mother's temperament, and, and you know, but and I'm just a positive thinker by nature. I mean, I just am. You know, and and I also believe in being dressed for anything that comes across. You know what I mean? Because if if you're not dressed, you're not prepared. And so then you got no chance. So, you know. Well, give me an example of that. Well, it's like you're, you walk into a Mercedes dealership mm -hmm. and you, you, you got jeans on and you, you, you look like, you know, there's nothing. But does that not mean that you're in the Mercedes dealership to buy something? It, it, it's like you always have to be prepared for the sale. You have to actively believe that everybody you talk to is going to buy something. Even though it's statistically impossible, you still have to have that attitude. You know, five years down the line, maybe they're in a position where they're able to buy something. You, ha you have to, in essence, be on at all times. You just do. And you have to make that a conscious decision. And you, you also have to believe it. And it also cannot come across as, you know, contrived or, or fake because it just doesn't work. No, you genuinely have to believe it. Yes. I, I think we're all very sensitive. Right. You know when you're talking to a salesperson yes. who's deliver as well as they could act, is still delivering you some sort of a line. And you also have to believe in the product because yeah. I, I can't sell stuff that I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't, I refuse to. It just doesn't work for me. And you gotta be careful because you can rationalize anything. You can't operate from a point of being hungry. Because if you're hungry, you can rationalize anything. Right. And, and it's not just about making the sale and going away. You know what I mean? It, it, that's not the point of, the, of, of what you do and what you should do. It's about, again, developing a relationship. I mean, you know, you, you don't want one sale. You want multiple sales plus all their friends and their children and their children's children. Right. You have to, you have to think like that. Forgive me for interrupting myself and Dewey, I guess. Uh, but I just wanted to grab your ear for a second. If you have arrived at this point, the middle point of the show, it means we must be doing something right or you've fallen asleep while playing the episode. Either way, if you are sticking in and you're listening to us, I hope it means that you're enjoying the show. And if you're enjoying the show, I want to jingle my little tip can a little bit here and ask you, not for money, don't worry, but ask you to do a little favor for us. And that is, tell someone. Share it. The best way that this show can grow and we can become a little bit of a virtual community in the art business is by more of us participating. Now, there's a lot of us already, but there could be a hell of a lot more. And I'm sure you know a bunch of those who have yet to get on board. So please spread the word a little bit, either on the phone, in person, or even on your Facebook page. Thank you. And now back to Dewey and me. You know, I... I'm, you're probably a better person than I am, but <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I like you, so I, 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 I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> uh, I was going to take it somewhere else. I was going to let right. that stand on its own because I can sell things that I don't believe in. I'm, it's just within my skill set, right. and I remember it would happen a number of times early on when I was, as you phrase it, hungry enough. Right. And you know, this is the crap that I've been given to sell because I don't own the gallery, sure. and someone it brought someone in and I know fully well that this is just junk and then yet I still do my job that's what I'm paid to do yep. and that you know and I give a presentation and I'm thinking in the back of my mind I'm going, you know there's no way people are buying this they've got to be seeing through the fact that I'm just trying to sell this turd right. and then at the end of it have someone with full sincerity you know oh my god you've made it you know and like flatter me like yeah. you know yeah you're right this thing is gorgeous this is right. really important stuff and then want to buy it right and i would feel so horrible yeah. i would just feel like trash yeah. Yeah. you know because i you after a while you get to realize it's like if you're good at this you've got an unfair power too yeah, absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, by by being a, a broker, I mean, I can pick and choose right. what I sell. 
You know, I mean, I, I don't work for a gallery owner per se, and I don't have to sell, you know, anything and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's always kind of been one of the things I've enjoyed about, you know, my position in the art market. I, I, I've had very few times when I felt like crap afterwards, so. <laughs> yeah, you've afforded yourself that luxury. Well, you know, that's one of the things I've always enjoyed about, you know, having a relationship, you know, with, with, with you and Daniel is the fact that, you know, you guys actually, you know, have a semblance of a conscience, you know, and stuff, and you're able to, you know, pick and choose, you know, what you put out there for editions. You know, you guys don't pump out artwork, you know, even back to like Neiman I mean you know there's there was great Neiman pieces and there were Neiman pieces that weren't so great and what I would do would be the pieces that were great I would you know buy as many as I could because I knew that they would sell and the pieces that weren't so good you know I, I would you know show them to my people and say you know this is the latest Neiman piece you know what do you think mm-hmm yeah, but here's the other dirty little secret, right, that doesn't get brought in. Where, where do all those duds go? Oh, you know something? I don't want to know. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll tell you the answer yeah. to it. It's cruise ships. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, cruise ship is like, uh, you know, the, the, it, 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 there's an old saying that I used to use that was, you know, $20 to get in, $50 to get out. They got you and they basically, you know, you're a captive audience and they just beat you to death and hype you to death and, until you end up with it. Oh God, yeah. Uh, there's always a part of me that I, ha I have a certain respect for the talent that's involved in, in, in that the kind of hucksterism. I, I like to say the shamelessness. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a different kind of thing. It's like, how, how you're able to create that kind of sociopathic behavior is amazing. Right. But no, I just mean the, you know, the ability to be that kind of a carnival barker right, and you right. know, really create it. But but that's not about identifying with the, with the client. It's about no. making the client identify with the product. Mm -hmm. which is a totally different game. Basically, you know, you have to have this product, mm -hmm. you know, versus developing a relationship that where somebody's going to come back and, and uh, you know, make multiple purchases with you. That's one of the magic things about, about my business has always been, is for the most part, I don't have to fight that battle mm -hmm. because the people, you know, they, they already knew what they wanted. You know, how much is that? Well, it's this. Okay, boom. You know, done deal. I'm just wondering, you know, as we're talking about how things have changed over time, and and in a the gallery, they have the advantage that they made a personal connection with that person, Correct. at least in the beginning. And they can okay. see the art in person. And they can see the art in person. I mean, there's Which a number of advantages, hugely, but one of them advantage. is there's a pre-set up relationship that's happened in person, which is not something that happens everywhere. Um, I, I actually, when I was an art dealer working the floor before the big internet days really took over, actually, I sold more on the phone than I did in the gallery. I met them in the gallery. Sure, right. But I found that there, there was this real power to the phone. There was an intimacy because it's, you know, it's my voice directly into their ear. Yes. You know, I really could capture them almost more than I could in the gallery because there were no distractions. Right, They're just exactly. in their own home. Yes, yes. And I, I love that end of the process. And now I've been told these days, you know, that's not even available. People don't want you to call them on the phone. Right. They, they feel that if you have anything to say, you can shoot them an email. Maybe right. if they're close enough with you, they'll give you access to, a, you can text them. Right. Uh, but you can't get into their head in that way. Right. And I, you know, as we're talking, it occurs to me, what was a great strength that you had, which is you've got them on the phone and they used to call them and you could be that voice and you're really yes. good at it. Yep. You, have you been robbed from that intimate contact you too? Know, yes, but I always promote, I prefer to talk to you in person. I mean, I, I almost every email I send out is like, yeah. call me to talk because I, I don't like typing. I mean, I, you know, my, my first two years in college, I was a chemical engineering major. And so I didn't take typing in high school. Uh -huh. So I still am like a, you know, a, a, you know, one finger, one finger, you know, typer. My thing is call me to talk. Yeah. Because I also know that if I can get them to call me to talk, there's a pretty good chance that I can, you know, make them understand it, the stuff that I can't really come across effectively in writing. But that's really hard to do. Well, it, yes and no. I, I have had less chance, 
you know, of getting them not to, to you know, to call me than, than uh, the other way around. I, you mean I you get know. more than you lose? Uh, yeah, I get, yeah, yeah, exactly. I really yeah. do. Because they're contacting me. The, the outreach these days is more incoming. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, unfortunately, these days there's also the incoming where people are, you know, want to sell because they're at that age level where they're downsizing their house or, you know, their parents have passed away and now they've got this. Right. And they want to sell and stuff now, like that. Is that, that your own customers or new people calling oh, you about Oh, you know, that? I get a lot of new people. I've got a pretty strong web presence out there yeah. that, I've, that I've been, uh, you know, over the course of time because I've realized that, uh, you know, when, when we switched over from having to attend <laughs> art expos to see the artwork, ourselves and the informational age came about you know that was the most effective way to put stuff in front of people you know was to to, to have a functional you know website and a friendly functional website you know because you know the, it, it's just convenient for them uh -huh. and it also they don't really have to go into a gallery so you know you 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 get them you know looking at the art you know there's a zillion pixels so it's a real good presentation so, so I think that's why galleries overall, you know, don't, you know, uh, like, you know, the people that, that use the internet because they don't get to have them walk in the door. And also that's why galleries have switched over to as many originals as they can handle if, the, if they've got the clientele right. for it. Because right. that way there's no competition. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the art is on the wall, you know, it's, it's ours to sell. You buy it from us because no one else has access to it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the gallery strength is. Yeah, but then we have this thing that I think we were talking about, you know, what value do people put on any of this at this point? We live right. in this time where everything is rather ephemeral, particularly things yes. that are entertainment-based. Yes. Yeah. And is there a value put on originals over prints? Well, there actually is, I think, these mm -hmm. days, you know, if you're at that level when you can, you can afford, you know, the original and the ones that can, you know, buy the original because there's, there's a, um, I guess, a sense of pride of ownership where, yes, you know, this is my original. I have this piece. No one else has it. I wonder if that's changed in nature. That is, I, I think there was a high value to it, a status aspect of that. Yes. And I'm thinking that maybe to be the part that's no longer complete. Not 100% not, not gone, but isn't right, there right. as well, much well, as it what, used what, to what be. The, with the generation that, we, that, that we're unfortunately raising these days, um, you know, they don't really care. They're more interested in the image. You right. know what I mean? And they can print it in any size they want. You know, we talked about that last night. They yeah. Can, you know, the, 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 it's not important, um, you know, to have a signature on it. They, they don't really care about that. You know, I mean, it, it's about instant gratification. Yeah, I want that. And yeah, make it a 30 by 40. Now, nah, you know something, let's just make it a 24 by 20 because I want it on this wall instead of that wall. So does the attitude of that generation have the capability of supporting our industry? Or does our industry have a way of answering to them and still existing, you think? You know something, I actually don't know. I mean, it, honestly, if you if I did, you'd be reading my book. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I don't yeah. know. We're, we're in a very tumultuous time right now for the art business, especially the limited edition art business. I mean, I really honestly think that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, the, let's just put it this way. But I it's don't not exclusive think it's, enough to support no, value, which correct. is the problem because cheap I, printing gets cheaper. Correct. And I don't think it's like going away, but but I see the numbers dwindling. Mm -hmm. You know, you, again, that's, you know, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a large amount of attrition in our business. And, and I think that's brought on by the simple fact that you know, that, 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 that people's, you know, attitudes and, and values and, and expectations and desires, you know, are constantly changing and they seem to be kind of changing away from what we're doing. Yeah. Know? I get nervous sometimes when I think about how recent our industry really is. Right. You know, it, it, yes, there's always been artists and yes, there's always been some version of you know, paying for artwork. Sometimes it was just aristocracy. Sure. You know, yeah. but the idea that 
the middle class, the, the greater volume the of people, huh? the everyman, yeah. uh, should think that that's a thing you do at some point in your life yes. to some degree or another. Yes. Yeah. That's a post-World War II notion. Yes. And our whole industry can really be encapsulated in a half a century, pretty much. Absolutely. And Baby boomers. Which tells you... You know, yeah, in theory, could, that could be the beginning of something that lasts forever on, but it could also just be, you know, the flavor of a time. And y you think about it, there was a time in this country where, you know, every town that had more than, you know, a couple thousand people in it had a haberdashery. Yes. Because everyone wore hats. Yes. And then... Kennedy came along. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, bare-headed bare Kennedy. <laughs> and right, yeah. and that was over, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. You know, you, it, it, the art business will have to, you know, continually, you know, adapt or find a way to, to educate the younger people to, to more appreciate, you know, what we're about and what we have, and that may or may not work. But what's our argument to them? Well, I, again, if, if I had one, you'd be reading my book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean what would I, really make I, the business, but I, even I the starting point. I don't know, yeah. Danny. I honestly don't know. And, I, and there may not be one. Yeah. I mean, honestly. I mean, it, it, we may be at that point in time where there may not be one. In, in which case, I guess, uh, supports the, you know, my premise that you know, we're moving toward an, you know, an all-originals market. Yeah, and we're also moving, that means, to a market where there are no superstars. Correct. Because no artist could support the volume of outposts it takes to leverage them to the point where they're celebrity. Correct. You know, we, we've got a couple examples of interesting models that have gotten around this, but I don't think they could be reproduced, at least not many times. And I'm thinking of like Banksy. Oh, right, you know, exactly. Why does Banksy, you know, become such a superstar without, you know, having multitudes of galleries out there? Which, by the way, he eventually does. Right, And right, he yeah, makes yeah. limited editions. Right, But right. it comes from, he, you know, the whole point of his art <laughs> it, was, it his, was the advertising to, yes, of the art. It all gets down to Costco, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I have this line that I cynically say to, to friends and probably more to my wife than anyone else that when I pass some really bad art in an yeah, art gallery, yeah. I always go coming to a future garage sale near you. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That thing will just bump down every branch. And yeah. it'll, you well, know. you know, I do think that we agree that the, the, art, per, the, art, the art business itself is, is morphing into something that neither one of us can really predict where it's going. So I'm in a gallery, I should say, yesterday. Yeah. You'll know what gallery yep. I was in. And that gallery has gotten a relationship with Amazon.com. They've wow. approached them and they've asked them to bring them artists and to be active in posting those artists on. And they have gotten permission from certain artists they represent yep. to make it available through that channel. And the person who's in charge of that, the gallery, was making a big case to me about how you know, Amazon's really on it and they're getting it. And this is a real frontier and this is where people want to buy. And I was all but short of grabbing her collars and shaking her and saying, and, and this is literally how it felt. I didn't say this to her, but this is what was going through my mind. And it's like, you're like one of those slaves that becomes like the overseer of other slaves selling us all down the river. Yeah, you, you don't understand that you've picked up the shovel to dig your own grave. Has right, that not right. occurred to you? And she's like, oh no, this is where it's all going. Makes sense. I go, no, it's not. They're just picking up off of the work that you do in the gallery at a cheaper price without paying rent. Right. What they've, all they've done is identify a vertical where money is transferring hands, and they're trying to place themselves in the middle of it. And Costco's the largest seller of wine yeah. in the U.S. I mean, that's something about that is wrong. Right, but what's really wrong is the removal of advocacy. Yes. Which is, when I go to my local wine shop, they do a very good job of educating me on on wine. Yes. And, and, and you know, to my benefit, truly helping me find things yes, that yeah, I enjoy yeah. more. Instead of just providing a selection. Right. You know, we went through this already with music. Yes. Where the local record shop and the local radio station, when terrestrial radio meant something, yep. did that job. They they were tastemakers. Yep. There was always, you know, yes, most of it was top 40 bullshit that was set up by programmers and had payola behind it. Right. But there was always this kind of at the end of the dial radio station. Beaker the, Street. Huh? Beaker Street. Or 
Beaker Street, right? It was Beaker Street. Yeah, yeah, for, you know, for you a could, record yeah, store. Exactly. No, no, it, it was actually a, a radio station that you could get oh, during okay. certain hours, and it 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 played like you know cutting edge, you know, music. And that, they just were, were going to play what's cool and yeah, what yeah. you and know they, they what's were like, picking up. I don't on. know where they from, maybe Kansas City or something like this. But you could kind of you know you could you could get it at night and stuff, and it it it, it played just fabulous music that you couldn't hear on the on the top forty station. Yeah, and you know. Bands like The Clash oh, or yeah. The Talking Heads, these bands would have never become big and successful and important if it wasn't for those components to the music industry. Yes. If there wasn't little record stores with guys, you know, behind the counter going, hey, yeah. you 14 year old kid, yeah. put down yeah. that album. Yeah. And listen you, didn't, to this. Right. you don't need yeah. to buy another one of those things off the top 40 charts, right? right? I'm going to educate yes. you. And that's where it starts. And that's what galleries do. Yes. I mean, again, it comes down to that, you know, that instantaneous gratification. I mean, when you, when you start buying originals, you know, on, on uh, Amazon.com, I mean, it's just wrong. Was that not worth it? Was that not a great conversation? I want to thank Dewey. Dewey, thank you so much. We did that conversation, that uh, recorded conversation, in his hotel room in New York City. So if you heard the occasional siren in the background, that's what that was. But as I said, thank you, Dewey. That meant a lot to me, and that was fantastic. Uh, and also, thank you to some of the folks who continue to leave glowing reviews up on iTunes. If you'd like to do so yourself, I would appreciate it as well. It's an easy thing to do. But in the meanwhile, until we meet again, may the coconuts fall at your feet. Good night, my art dealers. Good night. This has been The Art Dealer Show. You can find out more about our show at artdealer.show. You can also find us at all the cool different social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter under the handle of, yeah, you guessed it, Art Dealer Show. 